The season of Advent is often overlooked. Everywhere, it's Christmas. Christmas wreaths surround you, Christmas trees to the fore, right? It's been this way out in the world since October, right? Yet, here we are in Advent, trying to be like salmon swimming against the stream, right? The word Advent means to come, to approach, to come toward. Sure, there are obvious connections to Christmas. You just can't avoid it. We remember how God promised his own coming and then did it. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. From heaven above to earth, down low he came. Advent is a good and right season to meditate upon the incarnation of our Lord. Yet what was written of those former days, what's already happened, was written for our instruction now. Though historical, it's more than a lesson in history. It's more than an exercise in theater as an annual pageant or play. As the time presses in on us to remember the incarnation of our Lord, Christmas is a coming. As the Advent calendars have less dates to go on them than before, today, in this forgotten season of Advent, the scriptures push us to look to Christ's return, to go further. Our Lord Jesus had entered Jerusalem on the donkey and then wept. The things that would make for peace with God and peace on earth were very difficult. And there was and there will be stern punishment for those who reject the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. Does that have you a bit nervous, or was that the part of the sermon that you just didn't pay attention to? If it doesn't have you just at least a little bit nervous that there's stern punishment for those who reject the Messiah, I think that you've tamed God a bit too much. If the Lord parted ways with Jerusalem and his temple building, that he himself gave the instructions about how it should be built, etc., right? Said that it should be rebuilt, Zerubbabel. Don't know what he said about Herod's modifications or anything, but still. If he parts ways with Jerusalem and lets his temple be destroyed, that says something. If he's willing to have his people go through 400 years of slavery to Egypt, to go through a captivity to Babylon, to have Jerusalem leveled, it says something. The things that should most delight in God, right? Temple, his people, etc., can have their love grow cold for God, even to the point of crucifying God. So does this put our standing with God in doubt, too? Always on edge. Should we not take heed lest we fall? Just what will happen when Jesus comes again in glory? Now Jesus doesn't say when it will happen. There's no advent calendars for that. No second advent calendars in the stores yet, are there? I don't think so. 
But Jesus doesn't say, but Jesus does say, excuse me, he doesn't say when, but he does say that he will. He will return. And that's the focus of this little second Sunday in Advent, Christ's return. There will be signs in sun and moon, on the earth perplexity among the nations because of the sea and the roaring of the waves, people fainting with fear and foreboding over what's coming. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. The Son of Man will come in a cloud with power and great glory. When our Lord Jesus says those words recorded in Luke chapter 21, he's in the temple that he had recently cleansed. Jesus arrived into Jerusalem, wept over the coming punishment, drove out those who sold, changed money, and stole. So this little mysterious season of Advent, it's just a challenge to convey, especially since it's basically pre-Christmas for everybody. But think about how you meet your Lord and how he meets you. He's not always meek and lowly, laid in a manger, on a donkey, you know, the manageable God. The Christ will come in power and great glory. Malachi prophesied, saying that the day is coming when all the arrogant and the evildoers will be stubble. And as Jesus says, now when these things take, begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Straighten up. Raise your heads, stand at attention, kneel in humility, lift up your heads, ye mighty gates, that the King of glory may come in. And what will he do when he arrives for you now? After all, you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. What will he do when he goes suddenly to his temple? Well, first, it was as it is still. God will need to flip over some tables, to rearrange some things, to confront and crush stone-cold hearts. Will he just walk in and see you as a pure house of prayer? Or does he need to break out the whip and drive out the evil? Is there greed and theft in this supposed season of giving and materialism, right? Is your heart weighed down with indulgence, drunkenness, or the cares of this worldly life? Have you given in to the degeneracy of this world? Do we grieve the Holy Spirit by filling his home with filth? or by simply neglecting to care for it. Are we ready to welcome Christ? Well, he knows that you're stalling him at the door, right? He knows you just have it, you know, it latched still, just peeking through, just, just a moment, you know? Just shoving your dirty laundry where you think that he won't look, right? Or have we been so bold to ignore his knock at the door 
You hear the doorbell ring, you duck and hide. Because he's come unannounced, uninvited. How dare he? Right? He should know better. He should send a text message at least before he shows up. We fail to welcome his word and sacrament so much at times that we don't even know him and don't know how to speak for him. We deny that we know him outright or we've trained ourselves to believe in a Jesus imposter as taught to us not from the scriptures but from the world. It's no wonder that worldly matters are in the fore in our minds. Our Lord is pushed off to the background, hidden. All that great power and great glory that he's coming with, covered up by the fog of the day. We need the Lord's advent now. Announced or unannounced, he comes and refines us with fire. His word blazes hot and it hurts, but it does what needs be done. He cauterizes the infection of sin. He purifies like the refiner's fire. The Lord comes to you. So straighten up, brace yourself, raise your head, don't look away. You need this. You need Jesus, the real one. Your redemption is coming after all. Jesus has to get you out of the mess that you're in and clean the house. Because you're not doing it. And you actually have no ability to do it. Since Jesus is the one doing this, again, that means that we can't. Redemption, salvation, rescue, cleansing, purification, you name it. That's the proper work of the Lord. Don't try and take it back from him and say that you can do it. Or that your intentions are enough. They're not. Let's just be honest and cut through it all, finally, and speak the truth. It's the joy of straightening up and raising your heads. You can just be honest. Come on in, Jesus. It's a mess in here. Could you clean it up? We know our temples are a mess and that we need his cleansing. Only Christ's blood and death are strong enough to clean up this mess. When Jesus cried out on the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, right? You know it from the movies, maybe. It's the only bit of Arabic, or Aramaic, sorry, excuse me, you may know. Those hearing him, though, weren't just amazed at his language skills or whatever. Those hearing him thought that he was calling on Elijah. Do you remember? Right? Wait, 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 wait. Let's, let's see if Elijah will come. Right? They wanted to see if Elijah would come. Would this be the time for Elijah to come? To prepare the way for the great and awesome day of the Lord? Yes. Well, no, Elijah didn't come riding low on a chariot of fire, but the Lord Jesus served as his own Elijah. Jesus was dying on the cross to pay for the penalty of our sins, to purify us. He said, it's finished. Think about that. 
So the true temple of the Holy Spirit then is really cleansed because Jesus did what was necessary to cleanse it. Since he has died in our place, we are forgiven, garmented in his purity and righteousness, all clean, all good before our God, not with our own goodness, but with his. Our stalls, after all, are rather filthy, full of the mess of this world and the stinky stuff that we've added to our own stalls. But Christ sets us free from all that, to go out leaping into life, unburdened by the cares of this world, freed from sin, and free to serve others. Not out of some selfish fear of punishment or thinking we can earn heaven by these works, but simply because of actual love for others. Because of Christ's incarnation, his perfect life, atoning death, resurrection and ascension, Jesus has accomplished everything to prepare the way for his return in glory on the last day. He's his Elijah. At the cross, Christ in his, as his own Elijah accomplishes everything so that he may come again in glory to take you to be with him eternally alive. It was finished then and there. So, straighten up and get ready for the final day. Raise your heads and welcome him. Deeply wail over your sins. Let your pride be crushed by his law that flips over the money-changing tables in your heart. Welcome your king's coming to call for your repentance. Welcome your king's coming as he then raises you new, bandages your wounds, forgives your sins, leads you to walk in life everlasting with him and one another, now and forever. Amen.